All right. Um, what is the theme of the book of John? Nature of God. No. Sorry. Send me someplace. Hi, Linda. Yeah. John tells us the theme at the very end of the book. He says, Many other signs Jesus did, but these are written that you might believe, and that believing you might have life in his name. That's what the book of John is about. And when you start looking at the book in that light, you'll realize that the entire book is about that. And it's not the way you would think. I mean, you, you read that and you think, oh, he's going to have lots of signs and things that will, will um, convince unbelievers that they need to believe in Jesus. And, you, and you'll be right to the extent that there are certainly some signs. But you would be mistaken if you think that that's all that John was talking about. Um, There's whole chapters in here where Jesus does no miracles, He just talks. But you know what He talks about? He talks about believing. (laughs) And and, and even the signs are connected with this idea of believing. Uh, The stories are connected with it. in John chapter 1, which we did last time, um, you had his first disciples. Came to It's probably about half a dozen. And the discussion about them is how they came to belief. And then later on you have Nicodemus, who says, you know, we, we know you come from God. No one can do the signs you're doing. And then Jesus has a discussion with it. It's all about belief. And then Jesus goes in, goes back to Galilee. He goes through Samaria. Who's he talked to at the well? A woman. A woman. And that story is all about how he takes this woman who just came to get water and turns her into a believer. And then in chapter five, he healed a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And a lot of the discussion in that, in that chapter is about belief. But Jesus goes far deeper than just, well, here's how you get someone from being an unbeliever to a believer. And John, John and Jesus are on the same team in, the, in this book. They're, they're showing why some people never believe and why other people do. And Jesus talks a lot about He's the light of the world, but you people hate light. You love darkness. I mean, he, he's the the whole world in in with in view of this topic. The whole world is divided into two camps: those who are willing to believe, and he'll come to the light, and those who aren't willing to to believe, and who run away from the light, and who hate the light. And so, throughout the book of John, we see these two class of people developing, going in opposite directions, of course. You have the, the ones who, who are coming to belief more and more. Well, last week we had that, that great statement you know, when a lot of the disciples walked away when Jesus was saying hard things like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and a lot of disciples left and he asked the twelve, you know, are you going to go too? And who answered? Peter. Peter. And what did he say? 
Where shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Peter didn't understand what Jesus was talking about any more than anyone else did. He was just as confused as the rest of them. But he was attracted to the light. And that's what the book's about. And we're, and we're going to see that in, in this morning's lesson as well. Um, in the out, that, this outline doesn't even talk about the belief, so it's maybe not such a good outline. But and the, the thing is, I mean, how are you going to say, like, chapter 1's about belief, chapter 2's about belief, chapter 3's, I mean, every chapter is about belief. So, um, th- this outline divides it much the way the Synoptic Gospel outlines were, although it's a very different history that John covers. Um, and last time we did up through about half of section 3, Jesus' ministry, signs and discourses. We will finish that um, today and get into the Passion Week, the last seven days of Jesus' life. In, this first, in, in the first section, these first three sections in fact, there's only two miracles that are also told anywhere else. In fact, I think there's only two stories, period, that are told anywhere else. Feeding the 5,000 and walking on the water. Those are the only two that are also in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, Now once we get into the Passion Week, we'll find some more parallels there. But not a lot. John John is... He knows you've already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He expects you to to know them, and and he makes reference every so often about that. Um, And he just has a very different goal than what they have. John is a very deep thinker. We've seen that as we've been studying his book of 1 John. And we see that here in the Gospel of John. He's a very deep thinker and he's not, he's not looking for shallow answers. He's, 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 um, he's really thinking deep. And you, we'll, we'll find later on that, that he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I, and I, think, I don't think he meant that well, Jesus loved all the disciples, that he was one of them. I think he meant that um, he was a favorite of Jesus. And I think Jesus could see in John a mind that really could grasp the the kind of deep teaching that Jesus was giving. Although I'm sure it took a lot of years before John did get it. Um, all right, so chapter seven, we have a teaching at the feast of booze, and then they tried to arrest Jesus and failed. Well, what's another term we know for the feast of booths? Tabernacles, yes, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, what season of the year did it come in? Fall. Yeah, it came in the fall. One of the three major feasts uh, that the Jews had. Um, so, um, the feast in verse 2 is getting near, and what did his brothers say? Yeah, yeah let's go. You, you know, if you want to be. If you want to get well known, you're going to have to go to the feast. And of course, that wasn't Jesus' goal was not their goal. He says in verse five, not even his brothers were believing in him. That changed later, but it doesn't change in the book of John. Um, so in verse seven, he says, "The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil." You see how that is on the theme. It's on the very theme of, of belief. Um, so then they go up without Jesus. But he, he does go, but um, 
he goes privately. He doesn't go in, in the public way that, that they wanted him to go. And he starts teaching. In verse 15, the Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned having never been educated? The education they're talking about was kind of an apprenticeship underneath a rabbi. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he had that kind of education. He was educated at the feet of who? Gamaliel, yeah. But Jesus wasn't educated at the feet of anybody. Um, he, he was the Son of God. And that's where he got the teaching. And he says in verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. You see how on the theme that is. We ask the question, why do some people believe and some people don't? Jesus says, I'll tell you why. It's because some people are willing to do God's will and some people aren't. It, it's not a matter that the evidence just somehow is stronger for some people than for others or they, they happen to see an extra miracle or two. Nothing to do with that. Where's their heart? And that, that's what determines where their faith is. Um, now, last week we had Jesus doing a miracle, healing that guy at the pool of Bethesda. And there was one thing about that miracle the Jews didn't like. What was that? It was on the Sabbath, yes. And Jesus refers to that now in verse 23. He says, If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? When were they supposed to circumcise a, a newborn infant, male? On the eighth day. Well, chances are that's sometimes going to come on a Sabbath day. Didn't matter, they did it anyway. That, and technically, according, especially according to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, that was work. I mean, they were doing a surgical procedure on this boy. And Jesus certainly hadn't done more work than that in healing the man. And He's saying, hey, think about it. You know, you're willing to do this one medical procedure and the law of Moses won't be, be broken. What's wrong with me for making an entire man well on the Sabbath? And He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And that's a very key theme He covers uh, in, in, in this book. And it again has to do with coming to belief. There was a, was a class of Jews... Pharisees, scribes, who, who had a set of rules. And these rules were all very surface rules. And they were willing to apply those rules to Jesus. And, and, and if, if He follows their rules, good. If He doesn't follow their rules, He's out of there. And Jesus is saying, judge with righteous judgment. They were exalting their rules up above anything else. Even above God, in fact. Although they wouldn't have recognized that. Then here's another example of a very surface way they have of dismissing Jesus. Look in verse 27. See, they're asking, is this the Christ? And so in verse 27 they said, However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Now somehow in their study of the Old Testament, they had gotten the idea that when the Messiah comes, no one knows where he's from. But they may have taken it from Malachi chapter 3 where he says the Lord will suddenly come to His temple. And they read this and they think, Oh, well then when he comes, you know, nobody knows where he, he's just suddenly there. But but this guy, you know, we know where he grew up. Um, so Jesus answers in verse 28, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. 
Who's he talking about? That's right. But they don't understand that. Um, And then in verse 31, but many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, will he, he will not perform more signs than that, those which this man has, will he? All right, still, how are they coming to believe? That they're putting, the, putting evidence together and saying, I think this is the one. Well, when the Pharisees heard this, what'd they do? Send officers to arrest him. Yeah, yeah. Get him out of there. Send officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. That's a theme he's going to come back to several times. Um, Then finally, in verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, again, very major thing, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He talked about this living water with the woman at the well, you may recall. He's bringing this again. But, he, but this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Then, again you got people saying, well, you know, this, this has got to be the one. And then others are saying, well, no, Christ isn't going to come from Galilee. He's going to come from Bethlehem. They didn't, of course, know where Jesus was actually born. Um, so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to deceive him, but no one laid hands on him. So now the officers come back to the chief priests and Pharisees. They don't have Jesus. Why not? What's the answer? Never did a man speak like this. Yeah, we've never heard anyone speak like this. Whoa, the Pharisees don't like this. You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the, or Pharisees have believed in him, has he? Again, another clue as to how they're determining who they're going to believe in. They're looking at, well, who else is going with them? You know, are smart people going with them? I want to be with smart people. Yeah, Ralph. Uh, who are the officers? Uh, the, and, and I'm just a little bit, I thought the Pharisees were the ones that wanted to have them arrested anyway. So I'm just a little bit confused. These are, these are the official temple police. Okay. They, they, they guard the gates. They can... They can do things like arrest people. Uh, Jews, of course, only Jews. But they work underneath the high priest. So the Pharisees, uh, it says, it says that it was the chief priest and the Pharisees who sent officers to seize him. I guess it was is it was basically the Sanhedrin council, the ruling council of the Jews, and and they have police that that would report to them. They used the same police when they when they arrested Jesus. Although I think they also had some Roman soldiers too. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, so then Nicodemus speaks up in verse fifty. I haven't heard from him since chapter three. But he speaks up. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing. Does it? Well, they just blast him. I mean, oh, you know, just insult him. <laughs> They're not interested in facts here. Alright, that's chapter 7. Chapter 8. Why did I put the woman taken in adultery in square brackets here? It's in brackets in the the Bible too, isn't it? It's not in the best manuscripts. And um, 
there's only two, I'm only aware of two passages in the New Testament that are this long that are in question from a standpoint of the manuscripts. Anyone know what the other passage is? We've already had it. The last part of Mark, yes. It's called the long, long ending of Mark, which is 12 verses long. That one, the one in Mark is, is, in my judgment, it's still somewhat of an open question. This one is actually not an open question at all. This does not belong here. Um, John did not write this this section about this woman taking an adultery. None of the oldest manuscripts have it in it. Later on, starting in about the 6th century, the manuscripts do have it in it. There's one manuscript who has it earlier in John after verse 36 in John 7. There's one manuscript that has it at the end of John, kind of like an appendix. There's another manuscript that has it in Luke. Um, and there are some manuscripts that have it, but they put a little asterisk next to it to indicate that you know this is kind of a doubtful passage. Um, furthermore, it does not fit the story. If you pull this out from, from verse 53 through verse... 11 of, of chapter 8. Pull it out and just read it. The whole story makes perfect sense. There is no gap. You put it in here and there is a big gap. Uh, the, this, it's, it's not on the topic that John is dealing with about how, how we come to believe it. It has, it has just nothing to do with it. It's, um, it's something that, that later scribes added and, and I... I assume it was an old. It, it, at the time they added it, it must have been an old and well-known story, and they just felt like this has got to go somewhere, and they <laughs> they picked this spot for it. Um, generally, if you if you get a commentary that is fairly recent, 20th century or so, and fa- and reasonably scholarly, and and I don't I don't mean by that that it's something you you know hardly anyone can understand, but. It's some. It is some. Some. It's a. It's a commentary that's willing to discuss issues like does this belong in the Greek text or not. They will. They will all tell you this does not belong there. I haven't found anyone that that suggests. Oh yeah, I think it does. And generally, when you look for verse by verse comments in these commentaries, they don't. They won't even comment on it because it just doesn't belong. So. After these two passages, this one here and in Mark, when you have to go down in size to no more than two verses that are in question, maybe one verse. I mean, there's a number of places in the New Testament where you'll find a verse or two that will be in the square brackets like this. But nothing of this size except for the adulterous woman and the longer ending of the book of Mark. So I'm going to skip it as well. I'm going to go right to verse 12 here. Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And the light and darkness is a major theme because it's the same idea as belief and unbelief. And of course, any, those of you who are in the Wings of Night class know that light and darkness is also a theme in, in the book of 1 John. Um, <clears throat> So Jesus starts talking about testimony, how the Father testifies. So they were saying to Him in verse 19, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither Me nor My Father. If you knew Me, you would know My Father also. Again, a good hint as to what causes belief. The reason people don't believe in Jesus is because they don't know God. 
mean, they'll, all these people will say, well, you know, we believe in God. You don't know God. If you knew God, you would know Jesus. Um, so in verse 21, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. We had that before. But this time they say, surely he will not kill himself, will he? And he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They don't know how close they're coming <laughs> to the truth here. He's not going to kill himself. They're going to be the ones killing him. But he permits it. But he permits it, yeah. So in verse 25, they ask, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from Him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that He had been speaking to them about the Father. Of course, we read this and it's very obvious to us, but we have the benefit of the whole New Testament, and for them it was brand new. Then Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. What's He talking about when you lift up the Son of Man? The crucifixion. Yeah. So that is another item that leads to belief. That's the point that John's trying to make in, in including this in his story. In verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So now Jesus turns to those people. And in verse 31, he says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, there were some that didn't like this. I don't know whether it was the ones that had come to believe. I mean, everyone's listening, of course. They said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. I've never been enslaved to anyone. You know, why, why do you tell us you know, we can be free? We don't need to be free. Verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. <clears throat> And then down to verse 41. You were doing the deeds of your father. Who's he talking about here? Satan. Satan, yeah. They don't like this. We were not born to fornication. We have one father, God. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. And And... Anyone who's been a Christian for very long has had this experience of trying to explain the Gospel to somebody and they just cannot get it. And these people were that way too. And Jesus says, you can't. It's because you cannot do it. Um, and it's because God is not your Father. You're doing the deeds of, of the devil. Satan is your Father. So He says in verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me. Because of course, Satan is the father of lies. Verse 47, He who is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. In this entire book of John, it does not require a huge amount of information to know that Jesus, who Jesus is. It does not require a college education to know who Jesus is. It does not require a brilliant mind. It requires a, a willingness to do God's will. That's what it takes. The people that have that willingness, they will come to the light. Yeah, Ralph. Um, yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah, I know that's pretty funny. <laughs> they were enslaved to the Romans even at that at that at that point. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that is funny. Yeah, John. As long as you're going back, verse forty-one, we were not born of fornication. Mm-hmm. Is that a reference to to Jesus to Mary's? It, it it may be a, an indirect slur on his birth. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't prove that, but it might be. Yeah. So then he says in verse 31, anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. And then they say, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died in the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. So Jesus finally says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then he says, when they don't like that, in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And what do they do as a result of that? Yeah, they, they pick up the stones of stone because he's claiming God. Anyone that says I am in that kind of context is claiming to be God. <clears throat> Chapter 9. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. This is just wonderful. Um, I just, you know, you just love this guy, this blind man. Um, the courage he has, you know, the insight and all. And think about it. We're dealing with the theme of belief. We're dealing with the theme of light and darkness. How better to illustrate that than with a blind man <laughs> who was born that way. He's lived all his life in darkness and then Jesus lets him see. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, the question begins with the disciples asking why the guy's blind. And Jesus says, well, he's blind so that um, God, can glorify, God can be glorified in him. So, in verse 6, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes. Now, Jesus, Jesus is doing this on purpose. Um, what day is this? It's a Sabbath day. And, and he knows the rules the Pharisees have, and he's, he's violating several of them here. He's not just healing the guy, he's making mud. This is work. He's mixing medicine, he's applying medicine to the guy's eyes. Uh, all this, I mean, not one, but multiple violations. And he's doing it on purpose. I mean, Jesus is not trying to make the, the Pharisees feel bad. He understands that the only way they're ever going to come to have faith in Him is to put away their faith in their own human wisdom and their own traditions. But of course, they can't do that. So he, so he puts this clay on him, and then He says, What? Yeah, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And John translates it for us. What does the pool of Siloam mean? Sent. Sent, yeah. So, so Jesus sends them to the pool called Sent. Uh, on our map here, this is the temple. But I don't, know where the, I don't know where the blind man was when he healed him. But this is the temple, an easy location. Last week we had in chapter 5 the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. But this time Jesus sends the guy down here to the pool of Siloam. Now you may remember back in the Old Testament there was a tunnel that Hezekiah dug. And it, it starts up around here at, at a spring on the outside. That, maybe it's the Gihon Spring, I'm not certain. But it snakes through underneath the, the ground until it comes out at the Pool of Siloam. And, it, and you know, I showed you pictures of people walking through that tunnel. Um, if they come out on the inside of the city, they come out at the Pool of Siloam. 
and this is what they will see. I don't know. I'm not sure where where the Hezekiah's t- tunnel is in relation to this picture. Um, this um, uh, there's kind of been a lot of reworking of this this pool since Jesus' day. I don't know if it looked exactly like that in Jesus' day because at, at one time there was actually a, a church, a church building built on this site because it was a holy site. You know, the pool was long, so it's, it, there's been a lot of work. But um, he goes there and he washes and he comes seeing. Of course, Jesus is nowhere around, but. Um, Everyone's amazed, you know. How how can you see it? So he says, "Well, there's a man named Jesus. He anointed my eyes with clay, and now I can see. You know, I wash, and I can see." And so they brought him to Pharisees because, of course, you got the Sabbath question, and they're confronted with the biggest miracle they've ever seen, just huge. So they don't even believe the miracle was done. I mean, nobody that is as sinful as Jesus. Healing on the Sabbath could possibly do this, so how do they get the evidence? Carl's parents said, yeah, is this, is this your son? Was he born blind? Yep, sure was. <laughs> um, they don't have the nerve to say how he could see. This is another theme of John. You know, There's people that don't have courage. Um, but boy, the blind man has courage. So in verse 24, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. So what they want the man to do is deny that Jesus healed him and say, oh, God healed me. Well, of course, he knows God heals him, but he also knows Jesus healed him. So he starts out, you know, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, the door is blind, now I see. Well, the thing gets stronger and stronger, uh, and they're not happy with this guy. They, they, they want to bully him, basically. They got the power. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. <laughs> and, you know, I really wish that... that you know, the, a written account could really convey the expression of a guy's voice because I could just, I could just imagine the expression. I, I, you know, I, I picture him as saying something like, "Wow, that is amazing! You don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes." <laughs> and he goes on and gives him a lecture. It's not hard to figure out where someone's from if they do a miracle like this. And they, in fact, and see, he summarizes verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They then excommunicate him. They kick him out of the synagogue. He's not allowed back in anymore. Jesus then finds him. He knew they'd kicked him out. He says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Then Jesus summarizes. He says, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. You see how the miracle is a parable. I mean, it really happened, but it becomes a parable about light and darkness and about blindness and seeing. And Jesus comes in and He divides people. Just the fact that He's there, He divides people into the blind and the seeing. And there's actually some Pharisees there watching and they say, we're not blind too, are we? Jesus says, well, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. They're just judging themselves by claiming they can see. They're guilty of their sins. Chapter 10, the Good Shepherd. How many times does John record a parable of Jesus in the book of John? The word parable is never found in the whole in the whole book. I mean, this is think about the difference between this and the synoptic gospels. Um, 
In the Islamic Gospels, Jesus talks over and over about money. That's a very common topic. Not once that I have found in the book of John. Jesus talks about the kingdom. I I can't guarantee He never mentioned the book of John, but I don't think we've had it thus far. Um, He tells parables. The Word is never found. But this really is sort of a parable here. When He says... um, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. It's a parable, but it's not told quite like a parable. It's told. Um, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Um, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep... Follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Do you see how it's the same theme? Belief versus unbelief. The people, the sheep that hear his voice are the ones who believe. Um, and then he changes the, the, the picture a little bit in verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, of course, he's going to be the shepherd in just a little while, but. He talks about uh, others were thieves and robbers. In verse 10, the, the thief comes on to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's comparing himself with the spiritual leaders of Israel, those scribes and Pharisees. Then in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This is an old picture, um, and, and I, I, if I was going to draw it, I would, I would have Jesus being a lot more um, menacing to that wolf there. <laughs> but that's the best I could find. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so he talks about laying down his life for the sheep here, and then in verse sixteen, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Who's he talking about there? Gentiles. The Gentiles. Yes. Yeah. For this reason my Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Um, then in verse 20, many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to Him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Again, belief versus unbelief. They're looking at the same thing. They're coming up with different answers. Then we jump forward. At that time, the Feast of, of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. What do we call the Feast of Dedication today? Hanukkah. Yeah, this is, this is Hanukkah. <laughs> I think this is the only place in the Bible that is mentioned. It, it's never found in the Old Testament because it was actually created in between the Old and the New Testaments. <clears throat> so he's there in the wintertime. And they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He says, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You see how he's answering, why do some believe and some don't? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. Then in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. What do they do then? Pick up stones to kill them. Yeah. That's just blasphemy from their perspective. Verse 37, If I do the works of My Father, do not believe Me. 
But if I do them, though you do not believe Me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in Me and I in the Father. But they didn't believe. And then in verse 40, He went away again beyond the Jordan. He's gonna, he's, he, it's not time to, to provoke a, a big uh, confrontation with these people, so He goes beyond the Jordan. So we're over here uh, east uh, of the Jordan River. Uh, the, the feast, of course, of Hanukkah there was in Jerusalem. So now while he's east of the Jordan, we come to chapter 11. And um, a certain man was sick. Well, I, I guess I need to give the outline. Yeah, chapter 11, Raising Lazarus. Great story. Um, we'll go back to the map because what, what city did, did Lazarus live in? Bethany. Yeah, Bethany, which is just two miles east of Jerusalem. But Jesus is over here. So they send word to him. And... Um, Mary and Martha were the sisters. You remember in Luke we had Mary and Martha. Um, and then in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where I just love that. <laughs> he loved them. So when he gets word that he's sick, he, he, he hangs around, doesn't hurry off to see them. <laughs> but he's got a higher goal in mind. So there's a, there's a lot of discussion about this. And he talks about Lazarus falling asleep. They didn't understand that. But finally, in verse 14, he says, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Again, yeah. but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. And again, I wish that we, we, could, we could hear the tone of his voice, but Thomas is such a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> he sees how, how dangerous it is in Judea. And they left Judea because it was getting dangerous. Now Lazarus is dead. What's the point of going there? And Thomas says, oh, that's fine. Yeah, let's go too. And then we can die. <laughs> and of course, he's the same guy that after Jesus raised from the dead. You know, He won't believe until he puts his finger in, in the hole. <laughs> and interesting. But he does come to believe. That's part of the theme here and in the book of John. So how long has Lazarus been dead by the time Jesus gets there? Four days. Four days, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether he could have made it in time anyway. He only waited an extra two days and he gets back and he's been dead for four days. If he'd hurried, I mean, he would have been dead for at least a day. Um, but four days, he's, he's good and dead. And Martha... Now in Luke we get the impression that Mary believes and Martha doesn't believe. It's not true. They have they have very different personalities. They both believe. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's not exactly saying it, but you could tell what she has in mind. And Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. <laughs> what does he mean by that? <laughs> well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will, will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He still isn't telling her in so many words what's going to happen. But she goes and gets her sister and then um, he says, where have you laid him? Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Pretty famous, short, shortest verse in the Bible. At least in English. Um, and then there's a question in verse 37. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? They're, they're reasoning with logic, but you, you, can't, you can't figure God out like this. And that's what they're trying to do. 
So he says, well, take away the stone. Oh, I, I'm, I skipped this. This is a picture of the village of Bethany. So, um, just a little tiny village. Um, and uh, this, is, this artist's conception is not perfect, but I liked it because it's viewing it from inside the tomb <coughs> toward the out, <coughs> outside. So Lazarus has come forth and... and um, and a lot of people came to faith at this point. That, that's again a theme. A lot of people believed as a result. But some of them went and told the Pharisees. Some of them, there's no help. There's nothing going to help. And what do the Pharisees decide they need to do? Kill them. Kill them, yeah. Caiaphas makes that famous statement. Um, it's expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. What a cynic the guy is. He's willing to kill an innocent man to save his own skin. But in fact, God used His words. God would sacrifice an innocent man to save the whole world. Alright, then um, in verse 30, 54, Jesus again had to get out of there and He went to a city called Ephraim. Never, I don't think this city's ever mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels. It's up here north, a, a little bit east of, of north from Jerusalem. And we don't... We don't know what he did there. There's no record. But in chapter 12, we finally get to um, him coming to to Jerusalem for the last time. Um, and so six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany. And he's going to stay there the whole week. He, um, I assume he's staying with Mary and Martha. And they eat him a supper. And in fact, John had mentioned this earlier. He said, that, well, this is the same Mary that anointed Jesus' feet. Why is he mentioning it before it happens? Because you've already read about it in the Gospels. It's, in, it's at least in two of the Gospels. But when John presents it, it again is on his theme of believing and unbelieving. You, you, have, you have one event, anointing the feet of Jesus, and you have two reactions. You have on the one hand, you have Mary, who's on doing the anointing. She just loves Jesus. She believes She's willing to do anything for him. And then someone else watching the very same event. Who is this? Judas, Judas Iscariot. And all he can think of is what? Money. Money. Yeah. He's not of God. He can't hear. He's not a sheep of Jesus, even though he's one of the twelve. So why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii, which would be 300 days' wages? And given to poor people. And John tells us, none of the other writers say this, but he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So still looking at the two, there's only two kinds of people in the world. We're still looking at those two here. Um, then we have the triumphal entry, which I'm going to skip over because it's much the same as in the Gospels. Although when, when John tells it, it still is based on his theme of, of belief and unbelief. But I want to jump down to verse 20. There were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And they came, they approached Philip. I don't know why. Um, um, although he, he was from Bethsaida, which was a very a rather Gentile type city, even though it was a Jewish city. And Philip then went to Andrew. They came to Jesus. And, and I think that in verses 23 to 26, is what Jesus said to the Greeks. It's not real clear, but I think that it is. So Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Interesting speech to give to those Greeks. Then he says, and, and there apparently is a crowd when he says this, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Here we're seeing the, the shadow of the cross coming on him as the, the day draws near. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. How many times in Jesus' life did a voice come out of heaven? Three times, yeah. When when was the first? At his baptism. When was the second? Transfiguration. This is the third. Yeah. Three times. Three being the number of God, so it's it's very significant. Um, Now, verse thirty-six. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and He went away and hid Himself from them. That's the end of His public ministry. Now in, in the Synoptic Gospels, you've got, you know, shall we pay, shall we pay tribute to Caesar? Uh, what about this woman that's been married seven times who, who she married to in the, in the resurrection? we got, you know, what's the greatest... I mean, all these things... John doesn't cover that at all. John is, is single-minded. We're talking about faith. We're talking about light and darkness. And so we're done. We're done. The, the, all those things that happened that week are finished. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And now John's going to explain why they weren't. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and He hardened their heart so they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I healed them. Then he says in verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing Him for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Again, another one of these themes with faith and unbelief is is a matter of courage. And and where and and he says in verse forty three, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's why they're different. Then verse forty four says, and Jesus cried out and said, I take it that the rest of the chapter is actually a summary of everything Jesus had been saying, because in verse thirty six he hid himself from them and he stays hidden until the cross. So the, so John is now just giving a summary of of all Jesus is preaching put together. And He says, He who believes in Me does not believe in Me, but in Him who sent Me. He who sees Me sees the One who sent Me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in Me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears My sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects Me and does not receive My sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. 
for I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that His commandment is eternal life, therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Any last questions or comments? All right, well, I appreciate everyone's help.